Today's guest is the creator and developer of a powerful approach to dealing with change that unlocks creativity, enhances team communication, and increases commitment using a palette of essential attitudes, behaviors, and skills for communication and cooperation. He's a best-selling author of numerous books and multimedia programs, including the co-authored international bestseller, Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst, Love Thy Customer, Life by Design, How to Click with People, and the comprehensive communication program, Insider's Guide to the Art of Persuasion. A 1981 graduate of the National University of Natural Medicine, he's the president of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute, a longtime faculty member with the Institute for Management Studies, and a thought leader with Athena Interactive. He has delivered his expertise in thousands of radio and television appearances, interviews, newspapers, magazine articles, from CNBC and CBC to Fox, The Wall Street Journal, the USA Today, and of course, now this. Also, he's my dad. My guest is Dr. Rick Kirshner. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Hi, Dad. Hi, kid. <laughs> I am so excited that you agreed to do this. How could I not? I think you're awesome. Just the chance to hang out with you for a little while, recorded, not recorded. It's always great. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. We're both very busy people these days. So, you know, this is like the best way to carve out an hour together was to record. That's how I'm feeling about it, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, well, I'm certainly grateful for many things, uh, many things, but also this thing specifically. Okay. Hey, I have a question for you just to kick things off. What are your thoughts about this word change? When you hear the word change or you talk about change, what does that even mean to you? Huh. Well, you know, it changes, but I think, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think really change is sort of the essence of existence. It's sort of the, you know, it's the, the backbone of our experience is that everything changes eventually uh, and in real time. And I think it can be a terrible mistake to leave change to chance because we're going to live in the tomorrow of what we're changing today. So I'm a big fan of making the changes today that create the tomorrow that I want to live in. I love that. Um <laughs> You know, I figured you'd have a pretty good answer to that because you founded the company that I now have my face all over, which is Art of Change Skills for Life. That that was your brainchild. Um, could you talk to me a little bit? And look, theoretically, I already know the answer. I know that. <laughs> um, but I, I'm super curious because the Art of Change Skills for Life is really focused on communication skills and leadership skills. Um, and I'm just super curious, in your mind, what when you picked the name Art of Change, what was the relationship there? Well, first of all, it happened at a moment in my life when I was reinventing myself. And I mean, from the ground up, I was going to create all new Uh, I was going to learn new material. I was going to educate myself about new things. And I wanted to create it inside of a container that would allow me to continue to evolve it. And that's one of the beautiful things for me about watching what you're doing with the company is that you have 
sort of adopted the model of this is a change process. I'm going to change. And, you know, Lindea, my wife, uh, constantly says things to me like, you're the change guy whenever I'm resistant to change. So (laughs) I figured it was a really great framework for the kind of work I wanted to do. And, you know, at its, at its heart and soul at, at its core, I'm all about positive change, not just in my life or in your life or in our life, but in the world, I would like a better tomorrow instead of a bitter tomorrow And I feel like it's incumbent upon me to step up even when I don't want to and try Mm -hmm. to influence the trajectory of the events taking place in the world around me. So the art of change was just a really cool container to remind me of that, to inspire me to pursue that, to develop it and to internalize it. And I just want to say something about that, which is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we learn things and they stay in this domain that I guess I'd call theoretical. They're interesting mm-hmm. ideas. We play with those ideas. We like those ideas. Yeah, yeah. My interest has always been about actionable ideas, things I can do something with, what's useful. So the models I developed and passed along to you that you're now playing with and developing those models are all actionable, useful models. It doesn't matter whether they're true or not true. What matters is do they work? So that was really kind of the, the, the idea of all of this stuff. I recently had a conversation with somebody around um... – I'm in a I'm in several Facebook groups. This is one of the ways that I participate with the community at large. And this was a leadership centered Facebook group. Somebody posted the question, what do you do with difficult people? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what I didn't want to do is go, well, actually, here's a book that my dad wrote. And if you want yeah. more, I could teach a seminar, you know, I <laughs> Um, you know, I'm in these groups to participate, not to preach. So I simply offered just a little bit of uh, a little tasty tidbit about um, where you place your assumptions and assuming that people have a good intent behind their bad behavior that may be triggering it, which is all stuff I got from these models that, you know, that you created or co-created, depending on which model we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh there was an interesting response right away. There was this resistance. It was like, frankly, I disagree. Not the original poster, somebody else. Frankly, I disagree. People who behave badly have bad intent. <laughs> and it was it was really interesting to me because uh, we got to dig into this model um, in the moment in a way that really, for me, reinforced, you know, that's that might be true, that the particular person has bad intent behind their bad behavior. Sure, that might be true. But in terms of helpfulness, where does that get you in the interaction if you assume that to be true? It's not so right. much whether whether it's true or false. It's what's going to get you forward and further in that relationship. What's going to get you the outcome you want? So uh, it was a great conversation. And um, I felt really good about it. One of those things that I can thank you for because I grew up with these models to look at. Yeah, I mean, really, and I love that that's where you went with that question, because there's, you know, obviously, you could go a thousand places. Oh, you could go a thousand places. Well, I didn't have any specific. Yeah, I didn't have any specifics to know what behavior specifically. So I couldn't talk about like, oh, well, this is what's probably happening in this particular circumstance. But, but, But that idea that 
our assumptions shape our responses is so fundamental to being effective in dealing with other people, whether they're behaving badly or not, that the things we assume to be true ultimately are the things we're going to prove to ourselves. So what do you want to be right about? You're going to be right. I don't care what it is. You're going to be, <laughs> if you want to be right that you're wrong, you're going to be right. You're wrong. If you want to be right that everybody else is wrong, you're right. They're wrong. If that's what you want, you're going to be right about it. So then what do you want to be right about? It all starts with your assumptions. And, you know, Aiden, I, I've talked for a long time about the differentiation between useful and limiting assumptions that if you base your behavior off of a limiting assumption, it's going to tie you up, hold you back and trap you into defeating yourself. And if you base what you do on a useful assumption, it can help guide you forward and help you move towards the thing that you want to create. So when dealing with all kinds of people, difficult or not difficult, the things you assume to be true ultimately are going to guide you. I say, since you're going to assume something, assume something useful. I just love that you went to that. That's like such a great, great piece of evidence to me that you have internalized my fatherly teachings. <laughs> you know, some kids really fight against their uh, their parents' advice and wisdom, uh, and I am no exception. But luckily, I've passed the point of my 20s, and now I <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you were a feisty one. <laughs> I, I have this really specific memory of you telling me, like, you got to learn how to play guitar because you should absolutely be the front person in a rock band. And I was like, no, I'm going to listen to jazz and classical music. And how dare you tell me what to do? Until I was in my 20s and I was like, maybe I should learn how to play guitar. But this was my idea. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then you became a front person for a rock band. So, you know. I was like, but that's my idea. I did that. Anyway. I still have the video clips, by the way, of those songs, just so you know. <laughs> songs like Hot Little Ride and Walk that's of right. Shame. Oh, yeah. Really great songs. Yeah. Really living the dream. <laughs> I was such a proud dad. Walk of Shame. That's my um, kid. Yeah. She's doing that. I, yeah. I got her to do that. Um. Well, I digress. Um, so, so back on t topic here, just a little bit. So, I'm curious. Speaking of limiting and useful assumptions, when faced with change, we're you could argue that we're in the most profound moment of change in our history right now. You could argue that, Potentially but you could also. It potentially is. But you could also argue that there have been many moments that were the moment, and there will be more moments that will be the moment. I'm curious if you have thoughts about what assumptions are helpful in these types of big moments in history. Well, so, yeah, I have to say, I think every moment is the moment. This one up and now this one. I think that's the nature of life <laughs> is that if you if you choose to perceive every moment as a pivotal moment, it leads to a completely different set of options than if you are waiting for the right moment. You know, some moments come fast, some moments come slow. I hope I catch the next moment, you know, that kind of thing. I'm I'm all about this moment being the moment that counts. Uh, even when it comes to storytelling, you know, when you, you told me to get ready for this show, you said, whatever you're going to tell needs a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to say back to you, and I've saved it up for just this moment, <laughs> is that, is that um, 
you know, every moment in my life is a pivotal moment. And so any place I start is the beginning and however I finish is the end. And the only story that's not completely told is the story of my life because I haven't ended it yet. But I think that, you know, we're facing right now a, a huge opportunity in our society to address something that has been going on far too long. It was a a horrible problem before I was born. It was a horrible problem after I was born. All through my uh, teen years, it was a big problem for our society. And now it's blown up yet again. And why does it keep happening? Because we have yet to address the problem. And the problem is the institutionalization and systematization of racism. It is so embedded in not just our society, but all over the world, uh, where we hate others, blame others, fear others, separate ourselves from anything we can identify as a different group to the one we're in. And, you know, the time has come. It's always time, right? Every moment is the pivotal Mm -hmm. moment. The time Mm -hmm. has come for us to face the fact that we can do better, but we can only do better if we take ownership. So when you ask me what assumptions I make, The one assumption I make is that I own this moment and the choices that I make. And I believe that's a useful assumption for everybody. What's happening in my life right now, I'm the right person in the right place at the right time, even when I don't want to be. And maybe we'll get to that because I'm in a position of responsibility again. Yeah. Believe me, I wake up some days, including today, where I'm like, oh, I want to get back to my retirement. But... (laughs) I'm the right guy in the right place at the right time with the right information and the right ability if I choose to use it in the right way to bring about something worthwhile. And so I'm engaging with what's happening instead of backing away from it. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's that's the, the useful assumption that you're the right person, the right place at the right time with the right set of skills for exactly what's coming up in your life right now. Um, I love and that. this is the pivotal moment. <clears throat> Another useful assumption that I make Uh, about dealing with big changes, societal changes, is that nobody really knows what they're doing. We're figuring (laughs) it out. Nobody's that smart. And we're all Mm -hmm. smarter than any of us for that very reason. We're figuring it out. And that's where I think it's useful to be attentive and to listen to things that are hard to hear. And believe me, what's going on right now is hard to pay attention to for me. The easier choice is to do the things I love to do, which is to play my guitar and hang Mm -hmm. out in my garden and pet my cat and talk to my chickens and love on my (laughs) wife and my kids. But this is what's up. And here I am. And the choices I make today will play a role in what happens tomorrow. So I step up. I believe it's incumbent upon me to step up anyway whether I want to or not. Um, And I think that's the useful assumption. And what makes that useful to me is that I now can look back on 70 years of life on earth with great joy in the fact that I didn't squander it. Mm -hmm. I made my life count every step of the way. Wherever I was, whatever I was doing, I stepped up and I made it count. I made the most of it. I sought to contribute something worthwhile. I just posted this on my Facebook feed a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw Uh, it. No, I didn't. Well, so it's this idea that, you know, we are all responsible for what we're contributing to the world in every moment. And if what you contribute is hate, then 
you get hate back because mm-hmm. you get to be right about that. And if what you contribute yeah. is love, you get love back. So I want to make sure my contributions to the world are the things I want to get back. I want to, I want that circle to close itself again, complete that loop. So that's where being reasonable, rational, loving, accountable, those kinds of things are what I want from the world around me. So I want to contribute to the world what I want the world to be. And instantly the world is a little more like the things I want it to be. If 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 you add hate to the world, instantly the world is more hateful. If you add love to the world, instantly the world becomes more loving. So that to me is a useful assumption. I love that. Thank you for that. Well, I love I love that you love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here is the question. Uh-oh. The act like the question. Uh oh. Which is can you, will you? Tell us a story of a pivotal moment in your life. I can, and I will. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> hey, now. So first thing I guess your audience should know is you've heard every one of my stories many, many times. So none of this will come <laughs> as a surprise to you, although I expect you to act very interested and curious enough to inquire I, about things. I do. I plan met. to give yeah. you a lot of head nods and a lot of uh, grunting sounds of Good. listening. Yeah. The grunting matters. I love that. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm. Look mm-hmm. at that. That's so just such a proud father right now. All right. So, so... You know, I thought about this. I even sh- sent you. I said, could I tell this story or that story? And you're like, Dad, you got to choose. So it's true. Story- and let me say, I do, yeah. before you dig into your story, I do want to say literally any one of those stories, the one of the uh, totaling the car story, the, uh, <laughs> the story of like um, the your dad rescuing you from record producers. The story of like there were stories that weren't on that list that were incredible to me too. So many from the sixties. Now you tell me if I would have had that list, maybe I would have picked a different story. <laughs> anyway, I but I'm excited because I I wanted you to choose a story. That's the thing. The question is, can you will you share a pivotal moment in your life? And I think that's a personal question. And so I, me being like, will you tell me the story of whatever it is that feels more like a kid asking a dad to tell a story, which I guess I love that. both both things are true. But anyway, back to you. Let's, let's hear it. There's a story that I'm choosing to tell you uh, is uh, connected to what's happening in my life right now. And uh, even though I could pick all kinds of moments to begin this story, I'm choosing mm-hmm. to begin this story at a point in time where I was a, uh, third year naturopathic medical student, Portland, Oregon, and I was called to the office of my academic dean, Dr. Jim Sensenig, and Jim asked me to go on a TV show and represent the school, (laughs) and the school was a moderated forum called Town Hall, and he asked asked me to go on the show, and I'm like, why me? And he looks at me, and he says, because no one else is available. And I just... <laughs> what an incredible it, invitation. It was, I felt really like, wow, right guy, right place, right time. You know, I've been chosen because no it's one all in how you look. is available. Exactly. Yeah, it's all in how you look at things. So I had no idea in that simple, humble moment how it would influence the way my life would turn out right up until this moment and beyond. 
So I went on this TV show and it was a moderated forum with, I think there were 70 or 90 guests all sitting around a circle. And there were a couple of cameras with shotgun microphones mounted on them. And the moderator of the show is explaining to everybody how the show's going to work. He says, if there's anything you want to say, get your hand up in the first 20 minutes, because I guarantee you the last 40 minutes of this show, everybody's going to have something they want to say. (laughs) So I'm thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to represent the school, I guess I better get my hand up. So I put my hand up, kind of like get in line, right? He had not even started the show. He begins to introduce the show, sees my hand and calls on me. Oh, my goodness. I'm freaked out. I now have two cameras with shotgun microphones racing in my direction. And I totally blanked out. To this day, I have no idea what I said in that pivotal moment. But whatever it was that I said got the attention of a physician in the audience, uh, a medical doctor who was the head of the OBGYN department at a large hospital in Portland, who became instantly interested in working with me. And for the next three weeks, he called the clinic and the lab where I was working, uh, trying to get a phone conversation with me. And I kept deflecting. I was, I was married. I had a kid at home and I was trying to learn how to help people get their health back. And I had enough on my plate. It was hard enough. So I just kept deflecting. And finally, the lab director one day uh, at Hoffman Smith says, you must take this call. And I'm like, I don't want to take the call. He says, you have to take this call. This guy is annoying the heck out of me. I have work to do. Just talk to him. So I remember standing in the hallway because in those days, all the phones were attached to walls. And I remember talking to this guy on that phone. And he introduces himself to me and says he heard what I had to say on the show and uh, would like to hire me. And I'm like, want to hire me? He says, yeah. He says, I'm a physician. I'd like to hire you as my physician's assistant. And I'm like, I'm not interested. He says, hang on. I don't think you understand what I'm offering you. He says, if you come to work for me, he said, I take responsibility for anything you do wrong. He said, so you could do brain surgery if I tell you you can. And it's on me. He says, you know, you'll have more power, more authority, more ability working for me than you ever will as a naturopathic doctor. Well, I'm a stubborn sort, and I was three years into the four-year program, and it put three years into pre-med, so, you know, it's like I'm not going to jump off this horse at this point. And I said that to him, I said, this is, I I started this, and I'm going to finish it. I'm not, no thank you, I'm not interested in the job. And then he said, would you at least meet with me and hear my proposal? And I'm like, I really don't have the time. He says, look, let me buy you lunch and make, and well, when I heard buy you lunch, you know, as a student, and anytime somebody offers you free food, it's hard to say no. So I immediately started. Although they say there's no such thing as a free lunch. They do say that. So, and for him, it certainly wasn't free because my immediate response was to look out for my classmates. I said, hey, can I bring some of my classmates along? They're hungry too. So, so well four played. of us meet this guy at a natural foods restaurant in Portland, and two of them eat and run. Uh, one of them sticks around. That's Rick Brinkman, who I then became a business partner with for 26 years, and who co-authored the deal with people you can't stand up with me. Um, Rick and I stuck around, and this guy uh, really tried to pitch the idea of being his assistant, and I kept saying no. He said, well, then let me mentor you. He says, you have a lot of potential. 
And I'm like, I'm not looking for a mentor. I was so, you know, I just was like, no, whatever it was, <laughs> except free food. It was like, no. He says, let me mentor you. And I said, what is it you think you can teach me? He says, well, I know right off the top of the bat, there's two things that you aren't learning in school that you need to know. And I'm like, what's that? He says, you need to learn how to listen and you need to learn how to talk. <laughs> and of course I was like, why? <laughs> and he goes, well, you need to learn how to listen because most of your patients would get better if somebody would just listen to them. And then he said, and you need to learn how to talk because most doctors make their patients sicker by the way they talk to them. And I had what I later learned to call a blinding flash of the obvious where I realized (laughs) that I do need to learn how to listen and I do need to learn how to talk because it's hugely important to my success as a physician. So he became a mentor to me and to Rick and he gave us books to read, sent us to seminars. And all of this added up to Rick and I feeling like we had something to share with our classmates. We put together a little workshop called The Magical Nature of Communication. We were shy about it, so I still have the original poster, which we scribbled out. And on it, it says about $23, because I have a thing for the number 23. So... (laughs) And all these students wanted to take this workshop from us. You had to learn a magic trick to uh, to take it. And so the people that didn't want to learn a magic trick didn't want to take it until they heard how great it was. And then they learned a magic trick if we would just do it again. And it turned into what became my speaking career. Well, here's what's interesting about that. So now I'm traveling all over the country speaking to audiences and I have to introduce myself in some way. So... I developed an introduction in order to tell people who had never heard of my profession about my profession as a part of my profession of speaking. And the introduction went something like this. Good morning, everybody. I am a doctor. I am not an MD. I'm not a DC. I'm not a DO. I'm not a PhD. What does that lead? And then I'd wait a moment and then I'd make this little joke. I'd say, I said this in Texas and the guy yelled, quack. And the audience would crack up and then I would say, but actually, I am a naturopathic physician. I went to a four-year medical school where I learned that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and that if you treat the cause of a problem, you can eliminate the problem. But if all you do is manage the symptoms, eventually they overcome and kill the patient. I learned alternatives to giving people petroleum derivatives and cutting off troublesome body parts. And if that's interesting to you, come talk to me on a break. And then I wouldn't say anything more about it. And people would line up on breaks to find out where can I find a doctor like that? Because most people, as long as I can remember, have been unhappy about the medical care they've received in the conventional system, which promises a lot up front and generally doesn't deliver all that much on the back end. So that moment with Jim in his office in school turned into a speaking career where I was promoting the profession that I went to school to learn about. (laughs) And now here I am. So I'm moving now to the sort of the end of the story, I suppose, because I had a long speaking career, wrote a lot of books, made a lot of audio and video programs, got to do really cool things, had amazing audiences, got to work with NASA, with astronauts. Uh, In fact, I got to be part of a, a mission to the space station where I got called twice from the space station by a real astronaut when I was a kid. The idea that I'd someday be talking to an astronaut would be unfathomable, and yet that happened. So, you know, I had all these kinds of amazing experiences, all because Jim said nobody else was available. And 
But here's what's so amazing about this the arc of this particular story out of that particular pivotal moment. So I'm now, I retired at the age of 67. And I mean, when I retired, I set the whole thing down. I quit speaking, quit training, quit making programs. I think my last act was to make a documentary film, How Healthcare Became Sick Care, The True History of Medicine. Before I retired, that was the last thing that I did. So I have a cool movie poster in the hallway and I can call myself a filmmaker now. And then I stopped and I just set the whole thing down and I sat around letting every day blend into the next, playing my guitar, sitting in my garden, loving on my wife, my cat, my chickens and (laughs) my family. And basically, finally, just being alive, being a human Mm -hmm. being instead of a human doing. And I loved it. I really loved it. And then... Somebody said, hey, we'd like to show your movie at this conference. Would you come and tell everybody why you made it? So it was a conference for the Naturopathic Medicine Institute at one of their vital gatherings. And, you know, Aiden, I always told you that wherever there's a pull, I want to respond. If somebody's really pulling, I want to respond. Mm -hmm. So that was a pull. They want to show my movie. How can I say no to that? So I left my comfort of my retirement. I went and showed the movie. Oh my gosh, they fell in love with the movie. People thought this movie was was so awesome. And they made me this cool poster that's hanging in my hallway that gives me pleasure every time I walk by it. Aww. And then I they said, that. and then at the end of all that, they said, we'd like you to become, uh, join, join with us and help us do our work. And they explained to me what the mission of the Institute was. And I resonated with that mission, which was to preserve and protect and present and promote the vitalistic core of the naturopathic profession. And so I went to work with them, just doing a little bit of public affairs work, helping them craft messaging, things like that. And then Jim Sensenig, who was the president and founder of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute, the guy who said... Wait, is this the same guy that that said, go to that thing? Nobody else is available. He founded this institute, showed my movie, invited me to become part of the institute, And then Jim passed away this past December in his sleep, which in my opinion is the world-class best exit you get from life on earth is dying in your sleep. Uh, But Jim passed away and I am now president of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute, standing in the shoes of the guy who told me no one else is available. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Wow. Well, thank you, first of all. <laughs> How was that? Was that a good story? story? Yeah, captivating. I mean, uh, as you disclaimered right at the top, I, I know that story um, because that's a recent, well, it's a story that's been part of my whole experience of you. Oh, yeah. You know, um, that story starts when I'm just a itty bitty thing and it ends this year. Yeah. So uh, I remember you when I was a freshman in the naturopathic program and you were a little baby crawling around in the, in the, on the grounds of the campus. I remember that quite well. And, you know, growing up with uh, a natural health paradigm as compared to most of the people that I know has definitely influenced who I am today and how I think about my health and health choices in general. So, you know, um, 
though it's your story, I feel attached to it in many ways. <laughs> well, you are. You're the product <laughs> of it in many ways. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's very true. I would not be doing what I am doing if not for how I was raised and by whom I was raised. And then a company that was essentially you gifted the company to me because I had risen to a skill set where you felt safe to do so. You know, this is what's sort of. I just have to say this about you. You know, I think you're an amazing person. You are a magnificent human being. I am so proud of you, uh, proud of you as a person. I hate to waste your podcast time telling everybody my parental <laughs> feelings, but. No, no, but, go on. Okay, Please tell I them guess more. I will. But I do feel <laughs> no. that way. And not only that, I think you're brilliant with this stuff. And you're somebody I want to call and consult with whenever I run into a problem, because you always shine a light on the things I'm not seeing. And you have such great advice. So. You are literally the product of my life story and your life story is contributing to my life story now. And someday when you're on somebody's podcast, maybe my story will be the beginning of your story. And the circle goes on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I do think that that's pretty wild how... um, you know, you could have chosen to begin anywhere. There's a poetic choice that you've made to begin with that moment with Dr. Jim Sensenig sending you off. Um, because no one else was available. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that was true in you becoming his successor with his sudden passing, uh, that no one else was available. But, you know, other People might have been able to do, to do, you know, to do whatever it is that I'm doing as the president of the Institute, but they couldn't do it the way I can do it. They don't have the communication Mm. skill set that I have to do it. They don't know conflict resolution the way I know it. And it's important to know conflict resolution when you're in a marginalized healthcare profession where the dominant system has control of the media, has control of the movie industry and all of this in Mm -hmm. terms of messaging. Um, But the truth is that in that moment when Jim passed, uh, one day and I were getting on a plane, we were going to go on vacation in Mexico, our annual vacation. I didn't even pack a computer. It was the first time I was like, I'm not going to do any kind of work on anything at all. And I had an iPad. That was it. And I get a phone call as we're sitting on a tarmac at seven in the morning waiting to take off that Jim has passed away. And so I'm thinking about this all the way to Mexico. And as I'm flying to Mexico, it occurs to me that the loss of our visionary founder is going to hit people so hard. It's going to scramble their brains with emotion. They're all going to be so, because everybody loved Jim. And I I would, being in Mexico, I had the mental space, the, you know, I had the waves of the ocean to help me keep Mm -hmm. me calm and Mm -hmm. keep breathing they're still back in this country, you know, dealing with all of the fallout of losing a founder of something that everybody got into because he was there. You know, Jim was sort of the George Washington of the modern naturopathic profession. He really was. He, he created the, uh, he founded the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. He created the accrediting board that ultimately the Department of Education recognized. He uh, was involved in licensing in multiple states. He, created wow. the Institute for Natural Medicine. He created, uh, he was a participant in uh, 
senior editor with the Foundations of Naturopathic Medicine textbook project. He he just had his fingerprints all over the modern profession everywhere. He was such a huge giant of a being. Those are huge, huge huge shoes shoes. to step into. I feel so in uh, unqualified to step into his shoes, honestly. And yet here I am. And I think I just had the bandwidth when I went to Mexico to manage paying attention to things that needed to be felt like we needed to create a memorial for him. And I had the bandwidth to call on the entire profession to memorialize the loss of our founder. And otherwise it wouldn't have happened. It would have just passed into the time stream. Hmm. So I was able to actually call our profession together to honor this guy's life. And on the tail end of that, I still was in Mexico, still had the ocean, still had the bandwidth. So I think that's how it wound up. Also, I wound up in this role is that nobody else was psychically, emotionally available to do mm. this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, I just feel like that no one else's available thing is a constant thread through. through this thing. <laughs> um, what what is on the horizon at the moment for the work that you are doing there? Oh goodness! Well, uh, the institute's got a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, one of the things that I got to take over uh, as president of the institute, Jim, was doing a, a call-in program every Wednesday morning uh, called the Vital Conversation, in which they they would unpack. Uh, what is vitalism? What is this paradigm in which we practice our craft? And because I have a background in public relations and communication, I was a natural to step in and take over his show. So since the beginning of the year, I've been doing the vital conversations show every Wednesday, Wednesday morning. And I love it because I'm talking with all these amazing doctors. I'm learning so many wonderful things. And I feel so inspired after doing these calls and Plus, I have the chance to build an audience and to increase awareness mm-hmm. of the work of the Institute, uh, you know, which really matters to me. I feel like the naturopathic profession is vital for the health of the world. And I want to do everything I can to keep it alive uh, in a system that really doesn't like us being there because we're bad for business. We are not good for the profit making of big industry. That's just the fact of it. That's, I believe, mm-hmm. the main reason why we're marginal is you just can't make a fortune getting people healthy. You can make a fortune keeping people sick and managing their illness. Hmm. So the the work we're doing at the Institute, uh, besides the vital conversation, we have our vital gatherings. We have our um, grand rounds where doctors can ask doctors about cases and witness how they manage cases. We have, um, so uh, sharing of knowledge is what it sounds like. It's a place where doctors can share best practices and understand what's working and not working in the in the field. Is that yeah, an accurate assessment? That's, a, that's a definitely a, a big piece of our work. In fact, in the naturopathic profession for years, back in the early days, we talked about the broken lineage that we just didn't have very many elders around to show us the ropes. We had to kind of figure a lot of things out on our own. Um, Mm. But now we do have a few elders that are still around. Sadly, I'm one of them, but we still have some (laughs) elders around. 
And you so, look young to me, Dad. I appreciate that so much. So, so the Institute is really allowing the knowledge and wisdom of the elders to be passed down to the new generations of doctors for those who are interested in it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have said that if it wasn't for us, they would have left the profession. If it wasn't for the work mm. that we do. Why is that? Because there's been a lot of drift in the profession in this, this era. Um, I think that the drug industry, for example, really wanted to disrupt us. Um, and so they have insinuated themselves into a lot of layers of our practice. And mm. uh, so that's happened. And there's been a lot of drift away from the roots. A lot of, uh, you know, if you're a student in school and nobody's there to show you how something works, it's easy to decide that that thing you don't know how to do doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. this medicine, which has been around for all of human history and that was kind of assembled and captured best practices a hundred years ago in America and called naturopathy, um, this medicine is incredibly effective, but you have to know how to use it. It doesn't just work. It's not like throwing a vitamin at a problem. It's an entire Mm -hmm. paradigm in which we're able to do accomplish what we call the six therapeutic outcomes of Dr. Henry Lindlar, an MD who in 1916 was able to codify this stuff and say, all right, here's what we're doing. This is how it works. This is why it works. And there are things that most people know a little bit about. One of those is uh, establish normal habits and surroundings, because Mm -hmm. if you're living a life that's completely unnatural, that's going to have health consequences. Sure, Uh, sure. Another one is give the body what it needs that, you know, we need nutrition in very deep ways in order to be healthy human beings. So give the body what it needs. Another one is take out the trash that that our bodies build up uh, uh, metabolic side effects that need to be excreted. And we've got all these systems to get that stuff out of us. But when those Mm -hmm. systems stop working, they need to be helped to eliminate all that waste from the system. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's like, there's six of these things. And the sixth one, by the way, was my speaking career. It's what it was all about. And that is to raise people up to the highest level of self-awareness and personal responsibility. And that's what Lindlar wrote in 1916, that you can't really be healthy unless you take responsibility for your health. Nobody can do it to you. Nobody can make you healthy. You can. And that's our That's pretty powerful. It's incredible. That's really powerful. And it's the kind of thing that people are used to hearing when they do things like physical therapy. That's right. You know, the physical therapist can't heal your injury for you. You have to do that work. And, And, you know, we hear this about all types of things. But, you know, when it comes to our overall health, it's tough because people are like, but I want a cupcake, you know, right. it's, like, oh, yeah. you know, so the idea of having a pill that you can take to alleviate the symptoms so that you can continue to have those cupcakes, just as a random example, I'm not saying cupcakes are a particular weakness. Of hey, mine. there's a time and a place for everything. It's just not all the time and every place. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still consider yourself retired? Oh, I wish I was. No, not really. I'm so busy. I'm in meetings all the time, all these phone calls. And now with this, these protests going on, I really want the Institute to engage and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to help resolve these kind of issues. You know, in a way, 
these protests that are happening around us right now are evidence of a sickness in our system. And I want yeah. the Institute to be a healing agent in dealing with this. Yeah, our country, the world definitely is in desperate need of a vital conversation. Oh, my pun intended. Yeah, exactly. uh, not to be cute, but because it's true. It is true. And I feel the responsibility for this, you know, Believe me, when people start shouting and reacting and taking things personally and conflict emerges, of course, I don't want to get involved. I want to relax and enjoy my life. I'm 70 years old. I would like to just stop the world and let me get off. And yet, I feel called to step up and to do what I can do and to contribute what I can contribute and to try to move the world towards a a healthier condition. And part of what motivates this for me and what drives this for me is I want you to inherit a world worth living in. And I want your kid to inherit a world worth living in. And I want to leave behind a legacy of health, healing, and wisdom instead of a legacy of missed opportunities and bad choices. And I think that's really, you know, maybe... Maybe that makes my life a pivotal life somehow in the lives of other people, um, just because I can say that and remind them of that. And I think that's the kind of work you're doing, too. So yeah. I really value it very deeply. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's awesome. And I love that. You're an inspiration to me, Dad. Oh, that's very sweet, honey. I mean, you're an inspiration to many, but as your kid, it feels incredible to be able to say you're an inspiration to me. Aw. Well, let's not get me crying now. <laughs> I mean, a little bit's kind of good, right? <laughs> well, um, as we draw this conversation to a close, um, is there anything, if you were going to give people a word of, I like to say words of wisdom instead of advice, but do what, do what you like. Uh <laughs> If you were going to give people something to take away from this conversation around how they think about the own, their own pivotal moments, their own changes they experience in their lives, from the very big to the very small, what, what would you give people? I don't know if this is going to come across as the wisdom from an elder or a 70-year-old white male who's privileged. <laughs> mansplaining about you know i'm not okay, sure how, that is totally that's reasonable that's fair i just that's, thought i'd yeah. say i'm aware of this uh or just some jerk who's saying his two cents because he can so but the you know it's something i said earlier in the show i'll just say it again which is that we're responsible whether we get it or not for what we contribute to this world if you contribute hate the world becomes instantly more hateful. If you contribute understanding, the world instantly becomes more understanding. If you become more accountable, the world becomes instantly more accountable. To me, that's the thing I would want to leave people with is that what do you want to contribute to your world? Do that. Amen. Right on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Anything that you want to share with people if they want to find more Dr. Kirshner wisdom. Well, I mean, um, I've got, I've got stuff on the website, but you know, yeah. you can always go to artofchange.com. Your entire blog archive from when you were writing your blog posts regularly is there. There are 99 pages of your blog content oh, wow. available at artofchange.com. Wow. So aside from that, yeah. but what's, what's more current 
for Dr. Well, Kirshner? I would encourage people to check out the work of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute and support it if you can. You don't need to be a doctor to contribute to the Institute's success. If you want to see a healthy natural medicine alternative to the uh, drugs and surgery system that dominates the world, uh, support what we're doing because we're not doing this work for our, our own sake. We're doing this work for you. We're doing this work for a better world. And you can find us at the vitalnd.org, the vitalnd.org. That'll take you to the Naturopathic Medicine Institute website. Um, and uh, you can find me on Facebook. And generally, if uh, you try to friend me and I look at your page and I like what you're all about, I'll accept it. And if I don't, you'll know that I wasn't crazy about what I saw on your Facebook page. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a little, a little challenge inside that invitation. <laughs> And and I'll say one last thing, Aiden, I, I, I love you. I adore you. I think you're absolutely a magnificent person. And I'm so happy I got to spend an hour with you like this. This was really super fun for me. This was awesome for me. Um, having you on the show is a no-brainer. Uh, this show is part of the legacy of the work that you started. So I love you, Dad. Thank mm. you for being here. Mm. <laughs> now go love on those chickens. <laughs> I'm biased, but I could listen to my dad talk about change all day. And I loved the conversation we had about useful versus limiting assumptions. Whatever you believe about a person or situation, your brain will select information that reinforces it. You'll get to be right. So what do you want to be right about? What assumptions would you rather make? That someone has good intent or bad? That someone is ill-informed or simply has a different take that you could learn about? In listening to this particular story, I'm struck by this idea of nobody else was available and just how often that sentence opens the door to opportunities. And what it means, of course, is that the opportunity was already offered to someone else who turned it down. I wonder then if luck is a matter of right place, right time, or relates more to a desire to look for opportunities and answer yes when they show up. To learn more about Dr. Rick Kirshner, you can visit our website, artofchange.com. But also, be sure to check out his podcast, The Vital Conversation, not to be confused with a podcast called Vital Conversations. The Vital Conversation is available at the NMI website, www.naturopathicmedicineinstitute.org. Visit us at www.thechangedpodcast for these links and a link to watch Dr. Kirshner's documentary, How Healthcare Became Sick Care, The True History of Medicine. Be sure to like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on your favorite service. And if, of course, you liked the episode, we would love it if you share it with a friend. Join the Facebook group to keep the conversation going and share stories of your own pivotal moments. Thank you for listening. I'm Aidan Nepom, and I wish you the kind of moments in life that you're excited to tell stories about. <laughs>